they looked really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. Let's hop into it with our takeaways from yesterday's games, the NFC and AFC Conference Championship games. The Rams and the Patriots is our Super Bowl matchup. Let's start with the Rams and Saints. The Rams took it in overtime 26-23 to me, guys. It's no novel take, but the biggest takeaway is the missed pass interference. Tommy Lee Lewis and Nikel Roby Coleman. Roby Coleman knocks into Lewis. Clear pass interference was not called. If it had been called, the Saints likely would have had a first down inside the 20-yard line with a chance to run out the clock and kick a field goal to win it in regulation. Instead, it goes to overtime, and the Rams are able to get it done with the Greg Zauer line 57-yard field goal. Jared Goff played the biggest game of his young quarterback career, and for any player, any coach, any fan, any spectator watching that game, there is nobody where that game meant more than to Jared Goff. He's finally solidified himself as a tier one quarterback. Not a top tier, not a, not a Brady Breeze Rodgers, but a top tier quarterback. He's no longer Jared Goff, Sean McVay, and the superstar team around them. Jared Goff made a case why he's great, and he finally has it with a Super Bowl in hand. And with the loss yesterday, uh, I think this n- nails the coffin down that Drew Brees and Sean Payton both will not win another Super Bowl. This was their, both of them, this was their last best chance Breeze probably going to retire within a year or two. Sean Payton is getting up there in years. Not sure how long he will be coaching. But those are two pretty like fan favorite guys, rootable guys. And unfortunately, they're just not going to win another Super Bowl. Let's go to the AFC Patriots take down the Chiefs 37-31 to in overtime. A classic from Tom Brady and the Patriots who go to their third straight Super Bowl. To me, though... This was the Super Bowl game. Based on the way the Saints and Rams finished, the Rams playing it safe on the road in New Orleans, and then the Saints not able to hold on to a 13-point lead, I felt going into the AFC Conference Championship game that whichever team won that game was going to win the Super Bowl, and that the way the teams both battled down the stretch further solidified that belief. If the Chiefs had won this game, I'd feel great about them. The Patriots win it, and I feel great about them heading into the contest two weeks from now. Are all y'all happy now? Are you all people that are talking about Brady's old, Andy Reid can't manage a clock, how's Eric Berry going to do? All of you overthinking the AFC Championship game. Are you happy with how it went? Stop overthinking things. These are two great teams late in the NFL season. Relax a little bit. Let them play, and don't let all your expectations block you from watching a great game. This game yesterday was an example of two masterful quarterbacks going at it reminiscent of those old Peyton Manning Tom Brady playoff matchups also AFC championship games uh, Pat Mahomes had three touchdowns in the second half and drove his team back from being down 14-0 at half and Brady doing Brady things didn't have a terrific stat line but just led his team late in the fourth quarter and Overtime didn't give Mahomes a chance to have the ball by orchestrating a great drive and winning that game. 37-31, the Patriots take it over the Chiefs. 26-23, the Rams over the Saints. And that becomes our Super Bowl matchup for two weeks from yesterday. This is Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. I'm Brandon Halvek with Jake Lampert and Parker Kerrigan. We're going to have some of our friends calling into the show later on this afternoon and into the evening but guys first let's let's go into this second game the Patriots against the Chiefs comes down to the final three possessions back and forth the Chiefs have a little under three minutes to go score a touchdown to tie the game up or excuse me to take the lead they do so the Patriots have a chance to come back and tie it up 
or excuse me, to take a three-point lead with another game-winning type drive by Tom Brady. They do so. Then the Chiefs, with 32 seconds, one timeout, need a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime. They're able to get down the field, make the game-tying field goal. We go to OT. Brady gets the ball first. It was coin flip odds, basically, for either team. Hardly any defense was being shown in the second half, and especially late in the fourth quarter. Patriots, three third-down conversions, two to Julian Edelman, one to Rob Gronkowski, able to cap it off with a Rexburg head running touchdown and win it. This, to me, was this is what a championship game really should be. I mean, these two teams came to play. Give the heck of a lot of Patriot credit to the Patriots for going on the road, going to Arrowhead Stadium. It seemed like they had this game controlled at the beginning. The Chiefs battle back and make it extremely interesting at the end. But when it comes to it, Tom Brady in the clutch, drives to win the game. He's going to get it done, and he does so yet again against this Kansas City Chiefs team. It was almost as if nothing else mattered for either teams. When they started playing in that fourth quarter, they weren't focused on a Super Bowl. They weren't focused on the game after the day, after the hour, after this game. If they won that game and neither team made it to the Super Bowl, they'd both be happy. Because of how both teams played, and especially how the Patriots offense played, and how Andy Reid didn't throw his team down the gutter for a clock. He managed it well. He played it well. He put Patrick Mahomes in a winnable situation. Now, heads or tails decided the game. Should Patrick Mahomes get the ball first in the playoffs? Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Or Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. Patriots just won the heads or tails, and they marched down feel like they always do. I will say, based on what we saw in the game, I thought there was a greater chance that the Patriots would come up with a stop against the Chiefs. Not a great chance, but a better chance than the Chiefs defense coming up with a stop against the Patriots. The Patriots defense is better than the Chiefs defense. Uh, and in this game, the Chiefs relied on big plays more than the Patriots did, who were just methodical in the way that they were driving the ball down the field. But I would say the chances of the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes scoring that first touchdown are greater than 50% had they had gotten the ball first. I think they would have had a really good chance to finish the game as the Patriots did finishing the game with that final drive in overtime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once the Pats won that coin flip, I could just feel it in my bones that the Patriots were winning this game. I mean, Tom Brady has done it time and time and again in the playoffs. He's so clutch. I was hoping so hard that the Patriots would blow it, that the Chiefs would win, to be honest, but... The Patriots are too good. That Belichick-Brady combo, so clutch. And there were a lot of plays during this game where you can feel the energy in the stadium because the two places they needed to play, which was in New Orleans and at Kansas City, are up there in the hardest places to play in football. And the Kansas City crowd was loud enough to distract any quarterback, probably besides Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. They don't get nervous based on noise. You saw in the Saints game, Jared Goff had to run out wide to Josh Reynolds in the wide receiver spot and tell him to play, cutting six or seven seconds off of the game clock. It was weird in the sense that the crowd kind of stopped talking. Late in the game, you give your quarterback silence. But in that atmosphere, it didn't even matter. Tom Brady and company would do it regardless. And I agree with you that once the Patriots won the toss, you can feel it in the stadium. You can feel the energy, even when... They marched down the field and scored that touchdown. You can feel it in the stadium. The Chiefs fans knew. Let's go back through the last couple of drives. So, obviously, the the long-sustained drive by the Patriots in overtime is what wins it. They pick up the three third-down conversions, two to Edelman, the last to Gronk, and finish it with the Burkhead touchdown. But when you go back to regulation, 32 seconds on the clock, needing a field goal to tie the game and send it to overtime, one timeout for the Kansas City Chiefs. As you guys watched the game, what was going through your head when we got to that situation? Needing three, 32 seconds, just one timeout for Kansas City. It was the ultimate task. It was the ultimate task for the best quarterback in football this year. And for a young quarterback who people were saying is the most trusted quarterback in the playoffs, that was his biggest task, to march his team down the field against a the best fourth quarter defense who knows how to just bend, not break, And he did it. He did what he needed to do. He looked good. He didn't look great. There were a few pass interference calls, a few calls, but calls are the theme of these last two games. But he climbed the biggest mountain. Even though he lost, that was a great thing for Patrick Mahomes to do. Yeah, and I think um, he's a chunk yardage 
guy. He gets big plays, and in that in that drive, when you have to drive like forty yards in thirty two seconds, I think he's well suited for that. Uh, when they took their timeout after that first big chunk play, uh, I wouldn't have taken the timeout there, but it ended up working out. So it just showed that Andy Reid like managed the clock well. They kicked a field goal. Harrison Butker came through, and it worked out. And just unfortunately, they lost the coin flip. And the drive before that, the Patriots are down by more than three, so they need a touchdown that gave them that three-point lead. They're down 28-24 couple times it looked like the Chiefs were going to be able to get off the field, including one where the ball bounces off of Julian Edelman's hands and it is, or excuse me, uh, D. Ford comes off the line of scrimmage. It would have been an interception, but it's an offsides against the Chiefs. A couple plays later, they find Rob Gronkowski with just the most vintage Rob Gronkowski play on the sideline on Eric Berry, where he completely mauls him, and they're able to score that touchdown there after the Chiefs had probably scored a little too quickly to take the lead in the first place, their first lead of the game at 28-24. to Taking all of that together, a lot happened in those two sequences, including some calls that were a little questionable on both ways, especially the, the roughing the passer where replay seemed to indicate that the Chiefs defensive linemen pretty much all missed Rob, uh, Tom Brady's helmet. Taking that all together, what did you guys make of those two drives? Well, the Patriots did what they do best. Driving down in the fourth quarter, you look for two people. And I'm very surprised that a smart Andy Reid didn't recognize that you need to stick two players on Julian Edelman and two players on Rob Gronkowski. If Cordell Patterson beats you and takes your team to the Super Bowl, then Cordell Patterson beats you and takes your team to the Super Bowl. They hit Julian Edelman three times on slant routes in the middle to get third downs. Rob Gronkowski, 25-yard completion over Eric Berry. You knew that. You knew it was going to happen. It's inevitable. And for Andy Reid not to adjust and stick Eric Berry in single high coverage with no free safety on that side of the field, kind of just dug your own grave there, given Eric Berry's a superstar player, but nothing compared to Rob Gronkowski. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We're going to go to the line and take some callers now. Ben Feldman, what do you have for us here on Blue Hen Sports Cage? Hey, how are you? Just uh, throwing out my hot take. Don't know how hot it really is, but uh, I don't believe the Saints will ever be this close to a championship with Drew Brees the rest of his career. Yep, I 100% agree with you, Ben. This was, I think, the last best chance for both uh, Brees and Sean Payton. Um, Sean Payton himself's getting up there in years. I don't know how long he'll keep coaching, but I completely agree. Brees is not going to win a Super Bowl. Should... Sorry. No, I was I was gonna say, should Drew Brees still play another year? Should Sean Payton still play another year? There's no another reason to, to believe they can't do it. Like it's Drew Brees. It's the same thing in the A. It's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are on the same field together. Give me them against anyone. But what's the what's the deciding factor next year? Should their stars? Should Kamara? Should Ingram? Should Michael Thomas? Should Lattimore? Should they all be back? And they probably should. What's What's your reasoning behind why they won't be able to win it again? I just I think that long gap in between this goes all the way back to the the bounty you know the bounty gate with uh, back with the Saints. I think they just missed their window of prime Brees. I just I think he's too old at this point. His his last like six games he just wasn't himself. After that uh, Dallas game, I think the NFL just figured them out. And I don't, unless you know they bring in a large influx of talents, I think they're going to be essentially the same team. So I think they're kind of hammered by the. They're kind of hamstring by the calf, too. So I, I just, you know, bringing back the same team, I don't think anything's really going to change. All right, thank you, Ben. Uh, guys, when we think about you know this this team, obviously with Saints fans, there's going to be a lot of heartbreak over the no call at the end of the game, and justifiably so. I'm confident in saying that call in and itself skewed the game. Had that call been correct... Uh, we would be sitting here talking about the Saints going to the Super Bowl. But now where does this team go? And if you had to look at the NFC playoff picture next year, do the Saints still line up as one of the best teams in the conference, or have they been passed by some of the other teams we saw get a little bit more hot at the end of the season? Well, I just said that if it's Drew Brees and Sean Payton on the same field at the same time, they're still in it, and they always will be in it. I definitely think that this is a team that should make the playoffs again next year, but this chance was 
the one seed, like the bye, the home field advantage. Like they were right there. I just they'll make the playoffs again. They'll probably have another playoff shot, but this was they're not going to get a better look than this year. And if they didn't do it this year, I don't think they're going to do it if they make it as like the three seed next year or wherever they end up. Tom Kenny, you're on Blue Hen Sports Cage. What do you have for us? How you doing, guys? Pleasure to be on the show. Um, my hot take is that this is Patrick Mahomes' best season. I don't think he's ever going like to have this. a better statistical season than he did this year. Well, you, do you guys want the, me to ex- the, Well, what? I'm going with this. The, you said there's no better statistical season, and while I do agree that throwing 50-plus touchdowns will never happen again in Patrick Mahomes' lifetime, I don't see him throwing any less than 45 touchdowns in any season. Because this guy is talented. He's a great quarterback. And the sophomore slump's going to hit him. I, I know this is his third year in the NFL, and the sophomore slump's going to hit him. But he, you're throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. How can you not throw four touchdowns a game with this high-powered offense? Well, this, well that's my whole point, right? Is I think next year the defense is going to get significantly better. Everybody in the NFL now has 18 game tapes on this kid. And I don't think he's ever going to be surrounded by a cast and crew that is this talented. So, I mean, yeah, next year, I think he's going to go down. But I don't think anybody, I I don't think he's going to have a better season. And like 50 touchdowns, and this is the other thing, right? Especially in professional sports, this is kind of the expectation now. You're never judged just off of your performance or your results, but you're judged against and compared against your expected results. So I think, I don't know, man. Patrick Mahomes, I just think every, everything lined up for him. And especially since Denver, I, I, Denver is a perennial powerhouse in the AFC. I don't think they're going to be bad for that long. And I don't know, man. I, I, think, I think this is Patrick Mahomes' best season. Okay, so you're pretty much saying that um, no matter how good his like career is, none of his seasons are going to live up to his initial one where he set the bar as high as possible? Exactly. I mean, okay. like, like can you, does anybody really think Patrick Mahomes is going to play better than he did this year? I think he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, possibly win this, another this, this MVP. This is season one. No, but, but, but I, I like what you're saying here, Tom, in that, yes, can he sustain a high level of, of play over the next decade? Sure, and, and that would get him close to the Hall of Fame if it's anywhere near these numbers, but where is there's not a ceiling beyond this. Where did he have a hole in his game that he's going to somehow improve, and how is the supporting cast around him going to get any better than it was? It, if anything, it's just going to take small steps backwards as Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey go through the rest of their careers. It's easy, I think, when a team like this loses the way they did against the true dynasty and the Patriots to say, oh, their window is just opening. But those windows of competing for championships are often a lot shorter than we think they are. You think about what we would have been saying about Carson Wentz's future, for instance, at this point last year to compare to what we're saying about it this year. And I like what you said about how he's going to be compared against this season moving forward. Same sort of thing with Carson Wentz. He's going to be compared against that MVP season where this year his numbers were close to where they were last year, but a lot more criticism came his way in still what many would consider an elite season if you had taken away the big sophomore MVP year, which of course ended early because of the injury. Tom, question for you. Yeah, good. Assuming Patrick Mahomes comes back and assuming all other 15 AFC quarterbacks come back, where do you put yeah. Patrick Mah- where do you expect Patrick Mahomes to finish in the ranking of AFC quarterbacks? Next year? Next year. Um this is the thing. I think he's going to be number 2 again. I don't see Brady falling off and I, and, and I guess this is kind of my whole point with saying he's getting judged against the expectation is Patrick Mahomes is great. I would pick him over any young quarterback in the league. Yep. But but like we saw last night, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are on another level. I think Andy Reid's going to hold him back. I think that yesterday was their best shot at taking down the Patriots over the next three to four years because next year the Patriots are going to unload off Grant's contract. They're going to have um, you know so many more draft picks, and they're going to get better players in free agency. I don't see Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid 
taking over the Patriots anytime soon. So uh, to answer your question specifically, I would only take Tom Brady over him over the next three years. All right. Thank you, Tom. We will check in with you soon. And Jake, that's something that we talked about last week is that for Andy Reid, turning it to, to his legacy and questions about his career, that was lined up for him. You get the Patriots at home with a 50-touchdown guy, and they're unable to do it. If they couldn't do it yesterday, when are they going to be able to do it? it <laughs> I, I don't want to say never, but really, not, as long as they're on the field, you can't. You have a 50 what, There has to be a 60-touchdown guy that's going to have to come along and beat them. There has to be a 70-touchdown a guy to come along and win. We're almost at the point where nothing, nothing's going to be able to beat them as long as they're still playing. Connor, you're on with Blue Hen Sports Cage. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, earlier today, Michael Thomas came out and tweeted Rule 17, Section 2, Article 1, which pertains to the NFL rules. And uh, this is how the rule states. The commissioner has the sole authority to investigate and appropriate disciplinary and or corrective measures if any club action, non-participant interference or calamity occurs in an NFL game, which the commissioner deems so extraordinarily unfair or outside the accepted tactics encountered in a professional football that such action has a major effect on the result of the game. I was just wondering if... What do you guys think about that, and do you think Roger Goodell would actually pull through with that? And could uh, I've been reading on it, and it said he could potentially have the game rematch from where that pass interference call started. What do you think, Parker? So I did see this tweet, and I read up on it, and I thought it was very interesting and very aggressive of Michael Thomas, and I love the idea of it. However, I don't think there's a chance in hell that this goes through that like happens Goodell uses that rule or anything would it be awesome to watch those two teams go at it again yes but um I I just think that like the controversy would like multiply like tenfold if he were to like do that and it open up a can of worms that just like the NFL doesn't want although I love that Michael Thomas is like read up enough or maybe just has people around him read <laughs> up enough that like used that as uh ammo I guess the idea of resetting a game from the point of its poor call makes sense. And that should realistically be what happens. But it should only happen if there was not a single event in the NFL game up to that point that would change the lead. If Drew Brees was never missed a pass, Jared Goff never missed a pass, every rush was for 10 yards in a first down. No one ever punted on fourth down. They all scored on all of their drives. And then that pass interference call happened. Restart the game from that point. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't even go as far as to say if they both played perfect games. But if there were other calls outside the power, other things in the game outside the power of the two teams that were competing that happened that changed the course of the game. I, I agree with that line of thinking. Can one team force an incompletion to you know without penalty? Yeah, and that that should be a play and it's allowable and you'd continue on. But a lot of Rams fans this morning pointing toward missed face max calls on Jared Goff, pointing to other calls throughout the game that didn't go their way. You're gonna see that in most games. There's gonna be missed calls in most games. So yes, this one is the most egregious of them all, and it directly impacted the final result of the game. But there were also other calls along the course of the game outside the control of just those two teams that led to that point and would have changed the course of the game had we gone back to quarter two and awarded the Rams with 15 yards for a face mask or so forth. Connor, let me ask you this. If you think that the Saints and the Rams game should be redone, I don't. you didn't say if you agreed with it or not, but if the Saints did not get the ball back in overtime— they won the toss. They had the ball. They could not push downfield and make a score. Mm-hmm. Should the Rams have started with the football and went down the field, kicked the field goal, or, or scored in that case, would you feel a lot differently about Michael Thomas sending this tweet? No, I just, I just think I don't know. It's just a game. It that that call will forever be probably the worst call the NFL referees have ever made. And I don't think it would change my mind. I think um, Roger Goodell should come down with some sanction, maybe suspend the referees. Oh, those refs should um, never touch a postseason game again. 
or yeah, never touch a postseason game again. And it's I feel like I've definitely seen the head referee on multiple occasions, and it's I don't know. I just feel like the NFL, especially with the way the refereeing has gone this year in particular, it's it's a shame because. Uh, of how large the NFL is, you should think that they have should have referees that understand the game and can make a call like that in a big situation as the NFC Championship game. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Right now, the Patriots' two-point favorites in the Super Bowl. It opened at Rams minus one. In about an hour, 90% of the money went on the Patriots, and that line switched very quickly. We'll get yeah. back to that game and to the Rams-Saints in a few moments, but first let's touch on Delaware men's basketball. Saturday, both of you guys were on the call for us. A one-point loss by the Blue Hens to Towson. They led by as many as 18 points. Final series sequence of the game, you get Ryan Allen, misses two at the line, and Delaware has their home CIA winning streak broken. This is two games in a row where the Blue Hens in the first half, in the first 15 minutes of play, in the first 10 minutes of play, had double-digit leads. James Madison was 14. Towson was 18. Both of those leads vanished. James Madison never led, but they got within one. Towson led at the end of the game. This first half, second half thing, and Coach Inglesby said it, they got to fix it. If they can keep their first half dominance... I'm ready to say they're the best first-half team, probably behind Hofstra. And Hofstra's a best, the best team, period. If they can fix their second-half woes, and there's nobody else I'd rather on the line taking those two shots than Ryan Allen. Give me Ryan Allen every time. But if they can fix their woes so they don't have to resort to Ryan Allen shooting two free throws, pencil them in for a top, at least a top run in the CAA. Yeah, I definitely think, um, like, calling that second half, it definitely struck me that... Delaware's energy was so much lower in the second half. And finally, they started p- picking it up last, like, four minutes of the game. But at that point, it's it's tough to get yourselves going when the other team's at full steam ahead and completely changes the momentum on you. Um, yeah, and Ryan Allen, like, probably nine times out of ten, maybe even more, he hits at least one, if not two of those. So either the game's going to overtime or Delaware wins. This was just the fluke effort, I'd say, um, that he missed both of them. What else did you guys take away from the weekend as a whole? I think that the wing players are finally coming into form. I think Darian Bryant, Matt Verretto, if they're doing three guards with Anderson, Allen, and Horton, Horton was the third of uh, the second wing, he started coming into form. He had a very bad game against Towson. He effectively didn't play in the second half because they just had better options. But they're using the wings more. They're using Darian Bryant more. Their swing plays are no longer to the guards and Carter. They're looking more team-centralized. And through the loss to Towson, that's a good positive takeaway at least. One thing about the Ithiel Horton having a bad game, though, I like that Inglesby uh, throughout this year has been very willing to go in the second half with whoever's playing well um like in this game it was Veretto that got more looks and Ryan Johnson yeah, that got Ryan more Johnson looks had a nice chunk. and yeah but then um just uh 2 weeks ago Horton put up 31 and I think played like 37 of those m- minutes in that game so credit coach Anglesby for making adjustments well what do you make of the first game this weekend where you have Carter and Allen both over 20 points, but not much else from the rest of the Blue Hens offense? That game was so weird because Anderson, Horton, Johnson, Verretto, all of them had open shots, but it almost seemed like there was a voice yelling in the back of their head, don't shoot it, give it to Carter and Allen, give it to Carter and Allen. Because there were a bunch of plays where Matt Verretto was in no man's land. And he had a free open shot, free open deep two. Didn't take it. Found Carter and Allen. They scored. There was a run that Ryan Allen went on where every ball, regardless of where it was in the court, found its way to Ryan Allen. That's great. When you need it, you got it. I don't think it's anything to bat an eye out in the negative direction, but it still proves we have two scorers and two very good scorers in the CIA. Now Delaware gets a little bit of an opportunity to readjust too and maybe – Figure out what's going on in the beginning and second half of some of these games. They don't play on Thursday. Typically, these guys play Thursday, Saturday. No Thursday game. They're at home Saturday against Drexel before going back on the road next weekend, Thursday and Friday, against Elon and William & Mary. 
we were starting to make our arrangements for the CAA men's basketball tournament, Jake, and we kind of thought like, okay, these next couple weeks are going to tell us a lot about this team, about whether we need to be planning for two days, three days, thinking about staying the whole time, because so far they've been good at home, but they still have some weaknesses that have shown up, particularly with some of these matchups that have come on the road. After Delaware gets their first run through in the CAA and it completes this weekend, this Saturday against Drexel, on paper, they should have only had two losses. Should have been Charleston, should have been Hofstra. They're not going to be in that case anymore. And right now the only other loss is the Towson loss. Right, is to Towson. From Saturday. They need to beat Drexel here to give anybody, both Blue Hand fans and CAA fans alike, they need to beat Drexel People to see that this Delaware team is good. Should they lose to Drexel, it's just another Delaware team. Elevates their game and then crumbles. Like the football team. Like we've seen. It's kind of Delaware in a nutshell. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Let's change gears back over to the NFL Conference Championship games and go to the Rams and Saints. We've alluded to it a little bit, talking about that pass interference call. But let's go back a little bit earlier. And there was one point in this game that I wanted to bring up that I thought Sean McVay made a big mistake. Johnny Hecker. 20 to 17. Uh, not, not Johnny Hecker. Okay. Not that point. 20 to 17. Ram, excuse me, the Saints have it at the one yard line. Or excuse me, the Rams have it at the one yard line. Fourth and goal. Kick the field goal. Tie the game. They end up winning. To me, you're on the road in New Orleans playing a team that everybody thinks better than you. You got at the one yard line. I'm punching that bad boy in and taking a four point lead. I'm playing aggressive against the team. That's probably better than me on the road where we just started getting our offense going. The Saints weren't able to take advantage of it, but I thought that could have been the undoing of the Rams there by not playing it aggressively. And that's been a characteristic of Sean McVay as a coach so far in his first two seasons. I think think that shows that Sean McVay had confidence in his defense there. Um, because if he didn't but have confidence... you're playing Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Uh, yeah, I Put it I in your it own too. guy's hands. I probably would have done the same thing, but just that move to me reads as McVay having faith in his defense, for right or for wrong. If they didn't get that, and this was a time when Todd Gurley was out, if they didn't get that, they're done. It's over. With the field goal, they at least no, have an not. opportunity. Since so the Saints start the next drive at the one-yard line, you have all your but timeouts you said, to get the ball it's back. It's Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. But just take the points at the and at least keep it closer. But you give it back to the Saints, you might have not got the ball back. The Saints could have gone, scored a touchdown, and your team would lose with your offense on the sideline. I would have gone for it there. Let's go to the phones and see what our listeners think. Reed, you're on with Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. All right, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Classic I want to talk line. about <laughs> the key to the Super Bowl for the Rams. All right. Uh, obviously, it's key to winning any game is the pressure of the quarterback, but the Patriots' O-line looks like they're peaking at the right time. They haven't given up a sack at all this uh, playoffs, and they're probably going against their biggest test so far in Aaron Donald. Do you guys think they can get to him? No. I, I don't think Aaron Donald will get to Tom Brady. That doesn't mean to say Aaron Donald won't have an impact. I think he'll be the most impactful player wearing a Rams jersey that entire game. He's stuffing the run any of the three running backs the Patriots decide to bring out. But the Patriots offensive line knows how to key in on Aaron Donald. And it also doesn't help that Tom Brady can release the ball and call defensive assignments better than anyone in the league. So I think once he sees Aaron Donald one drive, two drives in, he probably won't get hit. It'll hurt. Aaron Donald will affect the offensive game plan of the Patriots. But I don't think Aaron Donald will be as big as an impact as we've seen him in other games. Uh, yeah, I I actually do think they'll be able to affect Brady um, with Donald and Nadam Kinsu getting pressure up the m- middle. It's been proven in the past that if you get Brady out of the pocket, getting him to scramble, he's not on top of his game. Um, I'm not sure if they'll sack him, but if they can make him move out of the pocket, I think that's a good sign for the Rams if they can do that. So if Aaron Donald and Adamican Sue don't get to the playoffs, let's take them out of the equation. Do the Rams just need to let Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib do everything he can do? Or is there another outlet that the Rams can go to try and beat the Patriots? That was for you, Reed. That question was directed oh, to you. Okay, all right. Um, I think the corners have to do what they can, but... I don't see them, the Rams, doing very well if they can't pressure Brady, make him some bad throws or anything like that. If he has enough time in the pocket, and for Brady, that's only like two and a half seconds, I think it's Patriots all the way. All right, thank you, Reed. We'll check in with you later. Guys, 
that's that's been the hallmark of of this team, right? Is as Parker said, Brady is not the most mobile guy. If if you have his weakness, that's it. He's not going to run around the pocket, but the ball's out of his hands in 2.5 seconds or less. And he knows exactly, based on the pre-snap look, where he needs to go with the ball. Does does the the Rams front, Dante Fowler, for instance, coming up with that tip that eventually results in the Drew Brees interception that gives the Rams a chance to kick the field goal in overtime? Is there anything about that front that can... You know, rattle, rattle these guys, or is it enough for them to focus in, as you sort of alluded to, Jake, on trying to limit the running game and then leaving it up to the corners if the Patriots are a little bit more one-dimensional? The difference between the Rams and the Chiefs is that the Rams can guard undercuts. Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib are good enough to guard the under. That means that Edelman, Gronk, and Hogan will be a little bit more limited. So if I'm the Chiefs, I'm just boxing it. But if I'm the Rams, I'm playing more balanced. I'm allowing the corners to kind of guard those unders. Liam, you're on with Blue Hen Sports Cage. What do you have for us? What's up, guys? How's everything going? Going good, going good. How about yourself? Good, good. I am one of the few people who are pretty confident that if Todd Gurley is healthy, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. Explain. Well, one thing that the Chiefs' 31st-ranked defense did not have is a game changer. The Rams probably have game changers at almost every spot on the defense minus the linebacker position. You look at a guy named Aaron Donald, who I think is by far the best player in football right now, and he impacted every single play against the Saints yesterday, whose offensive line is stout from top to bottom. Aaron Donald allowed guys like Michael Brocker, Ndamukong Katsu, and Dante Fowler Jr., to have great games because he takes on two and three defenders and still gets by all of them and creates pressure to the quarterback consistently. He's a beast at stopping the pass. He's a beast at stopping the run. Yes, so Brady didn't really have to worry about that too much aside from maybe a few Justin Houston plays here and there. Brady had the time to do what he wants, and they played zone defense against him. Aqib Tlaib is going to match up man-to-man. He's going to try and lock up Julian Edelman every play. And then you have the chance to throw two guys on Gronk. Let Hogan beat you. I think if the Rams get Todd Gurley back, they allow him and C.J. Anderson to go 70-30 instead of the closer to, what, 60-40 in favor of C.J. Anderson yesterday. I like the Rams' chance of keeping the ball away from Brady. And if they score a lot of points, Goff can do that. I'm not quite sure if this Brady team can do that if, given all those defensive circumstances, go true. Do you think the Patriots' defense is susceptible from a big game like Todd Gurley and the type of game that we saw, it seemed like, almost every week at the beginning of the season, but we haven't seen in a month or two from from Todd Gurley and the Rams running attack? I mean, I definitely think they are susceptible to to stopping it. I I, I wouldn't say that just, just out of pure respect for Bill Belichick. I think scheme-wise, there's really nothing he can't at least hamper down. But I think McVeigh is creative enough in his offense to find different ways to move the ball downfield. I definitely think um, you're uh, yeah you're on something there with the Gurley CJ Anderson split there in the divisional game when they were coming off that bye week they were well rested. We all saw Gurley and Anderson both go for over a hundred yards and really take over that game. And obviously with a week bye before the Super Bowl with that rest again. Hopefully they're both healthy. I can foresee a similar res- similar result from them at least, both Anderson and Gurley being effective. But that is like we haven't even talked about yet, though, the Patriots offense and all they can do and their three-headed attack. I think it's a little bit overstated because yesterday they were playing in the conditions they were playing. Conditions won't really be a factor in the Dome in Atlanta. And they were playing against the 31st-ranked defense. And the guy who made the biggest mistake yesterday, arguably right now their best defensive player, upcoming free agent D. Ford, was, who was offside on what might have been the most crucial play of the Rams' defense yesterday. I mean, the, the Rams have like – I'm sorry, the Chiefs' defense, but like the Rams have like four or five guys better than D. Ford right now spread out throughout that defense. I mean, you have guys like Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib who are the best one-two corner punch in the game. 
they make guys like Mark Barron look a lot better. And then, I mean, I've already spoken about the, the guys on that defensive line. I like the Rams' chances. I don't know if the Patriots match up as well. All right, thank you very much, Liam. And that's definitely going to be a matchup that we'll talk about throughout their next couple of shows this week and into next week. Is the Rams' front interior of that defense good enough to impact the Patriots' offense that put 37 on the Chiefs and were rarely stopped in this game? They looked very methodical, especially in the first half when they came out to that 14 nothing lead. That could have been a 17 or 21 nothing lead if it weren't for the Tom Brady interception and the end zone. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Ryan, you're on with Blue Hen Sports Cage. How's it going? Hey, what's going on? I really haven't been listening, but um, I'm a true uh, g- degenerate here, and uh, I'm looking to get some action of the Super Bowl. Um, the line opened up. I think it was like minus uh, one. So minus one, one for the Rams. Rams. And uh, I think, honestly, if I had to guess, it's probably going to move down to probably like minus three Patriots, I guess, in like two weeks from now. And I'm just wondering, like, where you guys uh, swaying there? Um, I just don't see McVay in his pretty face uh, <laughs> winning, even though the Rams defense is peaking at the right time on a neutral field. I think the Rams offense could be electric, but again, you know, it's the Patriots, it's Belichick, it's Brady. It's kind of tough to bet against them. Um, what do you guys think? Thanks, Ryan. Uh, one of the things that I did almost right away when I got back after watching that game yesterday is I hit my friend Tim, who is a big better, and I said, I hope you got Rams plus one while I was out there because like I said off the top of the show, I felt very confident yesterday watching these two games that the winner of Patriots-Chiefs was going to be the winner of the Super Bowl. And even regardless of it being Rams or Saints, whoever came out of that game, just based on the level of competition that we saw in the later game compared to, I thought, a fairly low level of competition in the earlier game in the NFC. You know, I think I think you're right on right now. Most lines are minus two for the Patriots. I think that gets maybe to, to two and a half, three, three and a half at most. It's going to be a close spread as it should be. It's the Super Bowl neutral field. But my my inkling, my my first initial thought is is this is Patriots game to lose. This is Patriots to control. If the Rams win the game, it's going to be because the Patriots somehow made all these mistakes. But that's how the Patriots win games. They let you. They wait for the other team to make a game-defining mistake, and they take advantage of it. You think about D. Ford coming off sides yesterday against the Chiefs. It really took a lot for the team to overcome that, and then it still comes to the coin flip that the Patriots win and, and able to go down there in overtime. So to, to me, on paper, starting off this week, still a lot of the matchup to get into and a little bit more research to do, but my gut feeling coming out of these two games were Patriots and Patriots hard. When you look at the spreads. Yeah, and I think that that's a fair point. I think, Ryan, you brought it up well that there's no way that people are thinking that McVay is going to be the one to win this game, especially with a line, especially with neutral field. Yeah, I couldn't believe that it opened up as Rams minus one. Uh, I think you're right, Brandon. It'll probably end up being like a end up at like Pats minus three, minus three and a half. Honestly, if it's minus three and a half, I might take the Rams there. Uh, Maybe lose by a field goal or when, but yep, we'll see. I think that the whole premise of Rams minus one, I'm trying to think of why the betters opened up at Rams minus one because are they're probably not even the better team coming out of it. Brandon, you think, you, I agree with you that this was the AFC's Super Bowl and that should the Patriots or the Chiefs make it, they're just going to win handily. I, I guess it's because of Todd Gurley and Sean McVay and they think they can do it. But I'm just shocked that it even opened at that point, let alone that people thought in the first place that they can, the Rams can win that game. Well, you look at the regular season, I guess it maybe comes a bit more to that. The Patriots were the less efficient team over the course of the season. If we want to look at pure football outsider season-long DVOA, the Rams finished second to only the Chiefs, and the Patriots finished seventh. But if you go weighted, the Rams come back to sixth, the Patriots are at eighth, it's a little bit closer if you look beyond that, if you look to playoff success and the history of these teams, you start to think a little bit more about the Patriots who have been here time and time again over the course of the Belichick and Brady combined era. We go to Ryan M. on Blue Hen Sports Cage. What do you have for us, Ryan? Hi, guys. How are we today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Well, uh, I just wanted to come in here and thank the Eagles for making my original take on the show look pretty good and just assert that they are still the best team in the NFC. 
And they showed that by getting that far with maybe a third of their roster healthy. Brandon, I feel like you have to help this. One of my tweets, and I think, Ryan, you'd agree with this, is you put Nick Foles on either team in those late-game situations, Rams-Saints game, you put him into one of those situations, either defense would be scared. Those teams had had series sitting out there, the Rams uh, the second drive in overtime, the Saints the first drive in overtime, the Saints that drive at the end of the game that ends in the pass interference, the Rams, the drive where they kick a field goal instead of going for it. You put Foles into any of those situations, he gets the job done. He's clutch. He's got that factor that we didn't see from either team in this game. If the Eagles had gotten over the Saints, which they didn't, but had they been able to finish off that drive that ended in the Jeffrey drop, based on the way both of those two teams played yesterday, you'd feel good about that Eagles team. It wouldn't be easy, but they beat the Rams on the road in L.A. convincingly earlier this season, and they were right there with the Saints a week ago. Ryan, you texted me. it would have been crazy. You texted me something in the group, and the Eagles was the one that I thought was the more normal of the two things you texted me. (laughs) Please explain to both Parker and Brandon the second half of your text message because I think uh, that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, right, so I, I'm I'm calling it now. The Chiefs are coming out and winning the Super Bowl next year. Um, it doesn't really seem like that far fetched of an idea to me, since they're just going to pick up another running back. Um, Damian Williams has served fine in the role anyway, but they're they're going to get silly about spending money on defense if they literally don't have to spend a dime on offense for the next uh, two to three years, unless they want to extend Tyreek Hill. So most uh, most defenders off the market will probably be headed to either Kansas City or Indianapolis. Now, you did say the Falcons were going to win this year, right? I just do want to rehash that, mm-hmm. that you made the yeah, claim. Yeah, oh, yeah, I did, and I unfortunately forgot Yikes. that Steve Sarkeesian was still there OC, so that kind of just went out the window. Well, this is this is funny because we had a few people earlier in the show, and some of us agreed with it, that this was saying that this was the best chance for the Chiefs to win it. You're saying now, okay, looking forward to next year. They're the favorites to win it. They're going to win it. I mean, the defense is what held this team back, and especially in the game yesterday. And that's going to exactly. be where they address with, with whatever resources they have, money, draft picks, what have you. They could use a Brandon Graham type at defensive end. He's available as a free agent. They could certainly use safety help if Eric Berry can't you know, sustain a, a whole season, which it seems like at this point he's a question mark heading into most games each week. Right. Uh, I think. I think. Like. Like you said, it's going to be dependent on what type of improvements can they make to the defense. I think it's normal to expect with the same cast or even a couple small improvements to the offense that their offense takes a step back, just regression to the mean. It's tough to sustain five thousand yards, fifty touchdowns year after year. Can the defense make that up and some to get this team back over the hump? Will be the question for the Chiefs heading into the off season. And will Andy Reid not leave over two minutes on the clock when facing Tom Brady in the fourth quarter? But could you have changed that? Is the question? Um, you take a knee on first on and goal. The field, yeah, you could have taken a knee. You could. I mean, you gave you gave Bill Belichick four timeouts, including the two minute warning. It's unbelievable how bad time management Andy Reid did at the end of that game. But and we we were just talking about how he did well with time management because that didn't seem like a, a blister. Yeah, I, I mean, once once I saw two oh three on the clock, I knew that game was over. As I'm, I'm sure you did. Yeah, that was that was. I don't know. The guy can't figure out the end of games. I guess over his entire career. However, it's a little you, upsetting. You could also say that um, he left enough time for them to get the ball back and tie it up again. Uh, maybe that was his thought process. But come on, now <laughs> Bill Belichick's not going like, to give you the back the, the ball with that much time. He did though. What did he give him, like eight Thir- seconds, 32. nine seconds? 32 seconds, and they drove down and kicked the game-time Yeah, kicked the game-time field goal. Yeah, yeah but uh, it's just, it was tough. It's <laughs> tough to watch. They could have just eliminated them by getting it under a minute 30, to do whatever you need to do. All uh, right. It's just, it's, the Patriots <laughs> will find a way. That's the end of the day. That's yeah. the truth. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, thanks for the call. Thanks. Have a good one, everyone. I read an interesting story yesterday. This blew on Sportscage on WVD. From Adam Kilgore. It actually was written after the first Patriots-Chiefs games. He's in the Washington Post. Talking about that type of strategy of, at this point in the NFL, with the way that the rules are structured, we see, as we talked about last week, the four final teams were four of the top five teams in terms of offensive DVOA. 
should part of the strategy now for defenses be in these types of situations, let's be extremely aggressive. We're either going to force a turnover and get the ball back for our offense, or they're going to score and we're going to get the ball back for our offense with a lot of time left. The most devastating thing an offense can do to another team is sustain an 8, 9, 10-minute drive and run the clock down. It's more devastating than a 70-yard touchdown pass if you were to play extremely aggressively in the secondary with the mindset of, okay, we might relinquish the lead, but if we're in a situation where we're going to be behind by one score and we can get it back to our offense with enough time that they can be the last ones to possess the ball, should we? Not let them in, but be more aggressive with the mindset of, Either they're going to get in or we're going to get the ball back for our offense. Yeah, I mean, that that honestly makes me think of like a college Big 12 game where the score is like 55 to 48. Essentially what you're saying is um, score, let the score get high and just keep trading blows. I think that works for offenses like, like the Chiefs that can score at will. But, like, if you were not that type of offense, that strategy could backfire on you, I would say? I I don't know if I have a position on this. I think, Brandon, what you said was valid. But at the same time, you can just start the game plan from square one. That, like, letting a team score, getting the ball back, and throwing a 70-yard touch. That's a, you can just game plan from square one, and that means nothing. Obviously, teams aren't going to do that. It takes too much time, and it takes there's so many variables to bring into it. I just, I'm not at the point yet where I'm saying really get too nitty-gritty with how you're going to play the game. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVD and WVD HD1 Newark. We're about out of time, guys, but it's been fun. Our first Monday show ever, 4 to 5 p.m. for the next few Mondays here as we go through the end of the NFL season. We will be back on Thursday, normal time, 5 to 7 p.m., And both episodes each week can be found on the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. I'd like to thank all of our callers today. I thought this was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought it was quick. Great calls from the callers. Yeah, I feel like I need another hour. I'm just getting warmed up here. The takes are just getting warmed up. calls. I think everyone had a nice balance of what to say. I think it was great for us to call in. And I think next week, when we have this, there'll be a lot more to talk about. It doesn't have to be just NFL Conference Championships. It could be the Super Bowl. It could be the NBA. It could be MLB if you want to talk about it. But stay tuned. Should you have missed out on this call, that'll be next week as well. Call back in. All right. For Parker Kerrigan, Jake Lampert, I'm Brandon Halvek. This has been Blue Hen Sports Cage for January 21st, 2019. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Thanks for listening.